long story short, um, it turns out I have celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease. And, and then also, you know, we have the theory that um, obviously you process your grief in your liver and maybe that has something to do with it. But there's just all these <laughs> health repercussions, like physical things that can happen um, while you're grieving. And I think your body is just responding to this overwhelming mental state that you're in and your body physically reacts. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. I'm so happy to be chatting with Christina Cunningham today. Christina is a mom of three, and one of her kids is Mason, who will be the focus of our conversation today. Christina and her friend Stephanie started a blog slash YouTube channel slash podcast, Instagram, a lot of things. We'll talk about that too, called Sunflowers and Red Feathers in honor of their journey um, after Mason, Christina's son, and then Stephanie, her son, um, Joshua, uh, passed away. And so we'll be talking about all things um, that have occurred since as well as before and a little bit about that that journey of motherhood and of life and and so forth. So welcome, Christina. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. And we, again, as always, I always do with my guests, I start having these conversations pre, pre-recording that I'm like, wait, 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 let's keep it. Let's keep it for the podcast. So we'll keep it for the podcast. So let's start off with just the, the getting, getting to know each other. Cause I was on your, on your podcast, but I mm-hmm. didn't really get to really know you guys because you guys were asking the questions to me. <laughs> so now yeah. I get the <laughs> honor of asking you questions. And are you, is this the first time you're solo or are you guys usually together? Is this the first time you're doing something yeah. solo? Um, I think we've only had one other person interview us and we were together. So this is the yeah, first solo. Solo. Well, good. Is it, is it, anxious nervous excited both how does it feel when you're not like have your your partner and partner <laughs> yeah your co-host um, I'm and not friend. necessarily nervous I, I think I was actually more nervous for the other one because we were going to take turns doing our stories and um I was like I don't want to go second because I'll already be crying <laughs> from hearing Stephanie talk you know so uh, there was that but no I'm not anxious we're pretty used no, to this I, so I know. I, I tell my kids anytime they're like, I'm nervous. And I'm like, well, you know what? Just ch- nervousness and excitement have the same reaction and feeling in the body. So if you just tell your brain you're excited, <laughs> then it's different. You know, if you just use the word excited, because in general it is right. You still get like the jitty, the you still get the butterfly. And- yeah. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. still the same. So it's only really like a change in even just the word, but the, what's happening in the body is pretty much the same. I've heard the only difference mm-hmm. of excitement and nervousness, uh, is, um, is breath. Something like oh. that is just the change. Something like if you just change, it's just the breath pattern is just a little different. I don't know, but, um, yeah, but I'm happy to have you. Okay. So you live in, Nampa, Nampa, Idaho. And let's just say that again, because N-A-M-P-A, Nampa, Idaho. She said Nampa earlier, and I thought she was saying Napa, so (laughs) Nampa, Idaho. No, we're just outside of the capital of Idaho, so about 20 minutes from Boise. Okay. Is that west, more towards um, Washington State? More towards Washington? Okay. Okay. I've been to Boise, so I might have gone through Nampa. So... uh, Tell us then, how long have you lived? Is this where you grew up? Um, I was actually, so I was born in Boise, and then I grew up like 10 minutes out in Meridian, and then now I'm 10 minutes farther out in Nampa. So I've been in Nampa probably the last 10 years or so, my adult 
years. Yeah. yeah. So you did. You're a young mom of three, and did you get married really young then? And what's your husband's name? Tell us a little bit about that and how you guys met, and then your journey of parenthood. Oh gosh. Well, we have kind of a cute story of how we met. We actually <laughs> I, met I when we were <laughs> when we were kids. Um, so he grew up in a really really small town called Cascade, and it's just up in the mountains and. Um, his mom was a single mom, and so she was working and would bring her kids with her to work at this church camp called uh, Faith Heights. And I grew up down here, we say, in the valley, a valley kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, my church went to Faith Heights, like, for a summer, like a summer camping trip. And that's how I met my husband. So we played, like, all weekend. We I kicked his butt at foosball. And, and then we didn't know it for, like, our entire childhood that our parents, my mom and his mom, actually knew each other and went to school together. And um, anyways, we reconnected as adults when I was 21 and we were like, wait, we could have like been talking this whole time. Like our moms <laughs> know each other. <laughs> so anyway, that's when we started dating. Um, we got married a couple of years later. So we're just about to have our eight year anniversary. So um, and his name is Wade. Wade. Yeah. Their husband, yeah. Wade. And then so you're about to be married for five years. So then tell us eight years, when, eight years, sorry, eight years. <laughs> so then tell us how it was when you guys started then planning your family. Was yeah. it a surprise? Was it plan? I mean, you, Oh no, plan. every single baby plan, has been planned. Oh, okay. no, it really is. I am like an OCD over the top planner. So every <laughs> single child, like it's been, everything has been planned. So, um, a couple of years into our marriage, uh, we, decided to kind of settle down. We were the only ones in our friend group who were even like dating anybody. And then we got married and now we're like talking about kids and our friends are all like, what? Like we still party all the time and <laughs> live with our parents, you know? So <laughs> yeah. were you guys in college or you go straight to work? Did you guys go straight to work? No, um, I was already graduated and my husband was working. So we were just uh-huh. working full time and hanging with our friends. We're like, there's got to be more to life than this, you know? So um, around that time, we also started looking for like a church home. And so um, I got pregnant and we found our little church home and have been there ever since. So. Oh, wonderful. Now, when yeah. you say with your church home, meaning mm-hmm. your community, the church community that you were going to be a part of? I mean, I say mean home, home as in like, they're my family. Like they're got it. Got, yeah. very important to us. Yeah. To you guys. Now, do you, um, is this the same kind of church that you had grown up in? or just a different um, denomination or some, you know, same, yeah. same denomination, but just a, you know, just, a just different, a, a different. Yeah. Style. It's a okay. local church here in Dampa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so you found that then you had your first child. And so who, who, and when, who, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. That was Mason. So Mason was okay. born December of 2015. What's ba- Mason's we're... birthday? December what? 20th. Oh, almost Christmas. Yeah. They were going to induce him if he didn't birthday. come by Christmas. <laughs> That's yeah, my dad's oh, yeah. birthday. I think I, had, I remember. I think, yeah. Okay. So December 20th of, of 2015. And then um, tell us how it was then his birth. Oh, well, his birth was like the easiest ever. No, nothing really crazy there. Um, only natural delivery. Everything else from after that has been a hot mess. But so he was simple, easiest baby, joyful from the get go. Just light of everybody's life. you isn't it incredible how it's sometimes even the um those joyful moments that bring more of that emotion sometimes and even sharing sometimes the grief component of the situation it's the joy that we end up kind of sometimes choking up and and sharing have you noticed that when you've done your post podcast yeah yeah and that 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 word joy is I didn't even realize how special it was going to be to me it's actually a part of what I put on his headstone, his, I think it's, I can't even remember, but I, I used joy there. And it just is a word that has stuck because it, he was like the physical embodiment of joy. Oh, I got chills. Yeah. Even from the time he was born, he has a, uh, my sister-in-law was pregnant at the same time. And so her daughter was born about two months after Mason. And so it was a blessing because we both were in the same stage of life at the same time. And she is five now and she has just been a spitfire <laughs> from the get go. Like she was, I remember one of the first times we 
all got together with um, my husband and I and Mason and those two and her name's Elizabeth when they were babies. Like Mason was just so calm, so quiet, so like collected, you know, and his joyful self. And then there was Ellie and she was just screaming bloody murder all the time. I just looked at my sister-in-law and I'm like, I am so sorry. Like if Mason was like that, I don't know how I would handle, like, you know, God knows what you can handle. Right. Um, but she is just, he was just so calm. Like from the beginning, I just remember being, he's such an easy baby. Everybody would always say he's so easy. He's so happy. He's so, so happy, just joyful. Mm. So yeah. And then you, did you go on then to become a parent then before you went to have your second child? How mm-hmm. old was Mason at that time? Um, so I was 10 weeks pregnant when Mason died. So okay. he was, Mason was 19 months and I was 10 weeks pregnant with okay. my second Noah. So what, do you want to share the circumstances around Mason's passing or do, would you like to just share, do you want to share how he passed away or do you want to share more the after? Yeah, I can. Um, I won't go into too much detail. No, if you want to listen, don't. you can listen yeah, to our podcast don't. episode. Yeah. But um, basically, we live next door to my parents. Um, they built a house. They bought this huge, beautiful house that had an extra lot next door. And they decided to build a house on it and asked um, me if my family wanted to move in there. As soon as we found out we were pregnant with Mason, and we're like, yeah, that'd be great. Like, she had an in-home daycare. It'd be perfect. I could just walk Mason next door and go to work. And um Anyway, so it's just, it was like our family retirement, huge, like dream home plan. Because the ultimate plan was, because it was a three-story house my parents lived in, and then they built it just a one-story, smaller home. Um, And so our goal was as my family grew and they got to retirement age, we would swap houses and we would just like live there forever. Like that was our Uh. goal. It was great. But so we like walk out the back door and there's farmland everywhere and it was just this beautiful creek that ran behind all of the houses. And it was like, the creek was like my happy place. Like that's where I would go and like gather my thoughts, just get outside. And and that's where Mason died. It was um, a couple weeks before he died that we did like our big announcement that I was pregnant with Noah and I wanted to take him down because I bought him a shirt that said, can you dig it? I'm going to be a big brother. And I was like, oh, we should have him digging in the dirt and I'll take these cute pictures. And so he went down to the creek and he had this little shovel and he was digging in the dirt and it was super cute. And that was the first, I think the first or second time, like he'd only taken him down there a couple of times because I, it was very fast moving, like it wasn't safe at all, but we were both there, my husband and I. And so he had that experience with the creek and then the day that he died was a Tuesday and he was at daycare, of course, because I was working, my husband was working and my mom went um, with all the daycare kids, took them to this little local um, reservoir and they played in the water all day long and Mason just loved it. He had a blast. He loved water. And so um, the day that he died, I was having like a jewelry party at my house with all my, my mom, my sister, our girlfriends, and we were next door at my house and all the men were at my parents' house. Um, and so it was my father, my husband, and my brother-in-law, and Mason, all the guys. And I honestly, to this date, don't really know exactly what happened, other than um, a gate was left open, and we couldn't find Mason. So he was actually a missing child pretty much the whole first night. It was about 8 o'clock when we realized that um, all the guys were gone. Nobody was home. We couldn't figure out where they went. And we're like, well, that's strange. All the cars are here. And we all got in cars. Some went to the hospital. So we started driving around. And basically, it just came to be that, you know, he was gone. My husband was missing until about 10 o'clock that night because um, we ended up finding out he had jumped in the creek, was trying to find Mason. And um, he got out about, I can't remember, at least two miles downstream and went to somebody's house, was in shock, and they called the cops, and that's when the ambulance found him, and so anyways, Mason was missing that whole night, and um, we started looking for him again at 6 a.m., and once morning came and light came, they sent out um, people to get into the water and helicopters to look over the land, and that's when they found his body at about 10 o'clock the next morning. So. Thank you for sharing that. 
and I know how hard it is. I didn't know because I had not asked because I figured when we had had communication before that um, that if that's something that you wanted to share, like in our texts and stuff, that you would. So that's why I asked yeah. if you wanted to share. But I think that it's important to some extent too because sometimes just the how somebody passes away, somebody else might relate to that. And just as parents, we know that things, little things like that happen all the time. I remember losing my kid at the zoo, you know, things like that. Like, you know, like little split seconds. Yeah, split seconds that's all it takes. Things, all it takes. And, um, and it's, um, thank you. Thank you as hard as that was. But I'm just thinking again, back to that word joy that you said and him having spent the day at the reservoir and him not yeah. wanting, to, him wanting to continue his fun. My, that's know, like, yeah that's all I can think is that he's like oh this is water this is fun we just did this all day and just you know was drawn to it I don't know that's what I assume but yeah I know it's just harder to when you don't know the details because then you end up be we end up like kind of creating then the storyline to fill in the blanks that we don't know right and whatever exactly. storyline we create you know it's valid to each of us that do that based on the circumstances if um if it brings any kind of comfort you know to have some kind yeah. of storyline so um fast forward then to um you then here you are pregnant 10 weeks did it, you had not fully done the announcement yet you had taken the pictures but you had not oh no we had yeah i had shared it that day yeah oh okay the you had done the pictures. announcement okay so um what part of the journey do you want to share next what part do you want to share next would you like to share how you guys did the the memory part would you like to you know memory of his passing and you know how did you celebrate his life after his passing or would you like to fast forward to even just your journey of grief and your through your pregnancy as well whatever you want I'm an open book okay well I just want to respect that space for you too because it's so much and every time of course of talking I want to make sure that it's something that you want to talk about as well so um, yeah no everything, anything's fine okay so when when um when did you have the service and what did you have it did you have people come over to your home and what were some of the things that you felt in those few weeks if you even remember of anything because I'm sure a lot of times we're just kind of in this you know zombie kind of mode kind of going through the motions of the shock. Uh, so of what you remember of those first few days and weeks, what were some of the things surrounding his passing that helped in that comfort? Yeah, um, I am very lucky in, in the aspect that I had so much support. Like the night that he went missing, um, my mom's first instinct was to call, you know, the church. And so our pastor and our um the lead pastor and the guy below him, I don't know what his title is, but um, they all came out and they were, you know, praying and they're with us until about midnight and stuff. And so we had all of this support from basically our whole church and people set up meal trains and they were just like, what do you need? And um, so we had, since I, my house was just next door, like I pretty much woke up and just went to my parents' house for a couple of weeks. And um, there was somebody always there, um, family came from another small town called Gooding and had my niece and nephew and anyways we were just surrounded by lots of support and people and they brought food and toilet paper and stuff that you don't really think that you're gonna need but really when you have that many people like visiting all the time I mean there is what a good one toilet paper (laughs) that's so true because if people are going in and out of your and tissues great tip that's a great yeah. tip. I would have never thought of that. But yeah, you're right. Like that's oh something you run out of probably food because people are coming in and out of your house mm-hmm. and toilet paper and tissues. Thank you. So yeah. then bringing things that you guys needed just mm-hmm. in and out. Yeah. And they were actually, they were so great. They even went with us. They recommended a funeral home and then um, our the pastor uh, went with us to the funeral home and just helped make sure that everything was laid out. They actually did, um, I forgot about this, they did the night that they found him, so it was Wednesday, so the morning, Wednesday night, they did like a prayer vigil, and basically people from like all over the community, people in our church, they just got together and 
um, sang some songs, prayed and whatever. And we actually, my husband and I, we ended up going. I don't know how I even made it there. And um, so that was great. And then we had his memorial service. And again, my whole, my church just like planned the whole thing. And um, they were again there when he got buried about a week later, um, he got married, married, buried (laughs) in the the small town I mentioned earlier, Cascade, where my husband grew up, because that's where my husband's grandfather was buried. Um, It's not something you really think about, right? Like, where am I going to bury my kid? So um, we didn't really have any family plot on my side of the family here. Uh, So when I asked my husband, he was very uh, quiet about a lot of things, obviously, you know, feeling struggling. And so I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't making all the decisions, you know, and the only thing that he really had an opinion about was where he was buried. And that's why we chose Cascade. So um, they've just, yeah, there was just like a huge support system from our church and they've been there for the last almost five years. So what was the date? What was the date of his passing? August 1st, 2017. So we're coming up to almost four years. And it seems like an eternity. And at the same time, it seems like yesterday. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Like so much has happened since because now you've had two children since you were expecting. Then you had another one as well. And so that's that makes it seem like time, you kind of see time right in them. And then for you, and I, I can relate to this aspect of having a child near, um, my sister and I are six weeks apart with our first two as well. So how has it been for you seeing all of Ellie's milestones um, since she's two months different from Mason? Yeah, that has been... Oof, hard for sure. Um, I mean, obviously she's her own person and I, I try to make it very clear that I'm not like upset that she's growing up. Um, but definitely for the first little while, um, so my sister-in-law was again pregnant at the same time as me. So we were, we both had, you know, Mason and Ellie, and then I was pregnant with Noah. She was pregnant with Gabriel and then, you know, Mason died. So she actually told me, I think it was like a week or two after he had died that she was pregnant also. And our due dates again were like really close together. Um, this is like crazy. I'm like, <laughs> I know. Like, and I know you yeah, said this that you plan everything. <laughs> I know you said that you plan like everything, that you planned the pregnancy, but you never like sat down with your brother and sister-in-law and said, yeah, hey, like, let's do it gonna-? again. No, it was just like, wow. Yeah. So um, on top of, you know, already being pregnant and having those crazy emotions and stuff, I have this really, it's, it was always really hard, especially when she had her second birthday. I honestly couldn't even go. So I didn't. And obviously that was hard and I regret not being there, but I know that if I had gone, it would have just been a hot mess. So, um, but it's, yeah, every time I'd see her, I was, you know, I always had this thought like, oh, that's what Mason would be doing now or that's how he would be talking. And these are the skills that he would have, you know, learning, learning to speak in full sentences. I mean, I never even got to hear him say, I love you. Cause he was just 19 months mm-hmm. and not even to put all the pressure on Ellie, just even having my own, like Noah, who's three now and, and Everett is also older than Mason ever was. So just having them reach those milestones and pass them hard because Everett is how old so Noah is now four almost four Noah's three he just turned three, three in February oh, okay three okay because you were okay and then Everett is two then he's 20 months oh just he just passed that yeah last month last in March month. as he, we're recording uh, this Mason. yeah I always say as I were recording this because as I tell um, people like my release of my dates of my podcasts are sometimes a couple a couple of months sometimes after I've had the conversation. So in gotcha. the time of us recording, then it's 20 months, Everett's 20 months and Noah's three years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Seeing all of that is just a constant reminder. And again, it's not that you, there's no, um, 
like you said, it can be a combination of the joy and also the reminder, of course, of the milestones you missed with with Mason that that you think about. Yeah. Um, now, how was it for you then? Get you're you're pregnant, getting this news. Did you end up having to go get checked in the for the doctor for your pregnancy during that time when things like that? The, did you contact your doctor to let them know you had just experienced something? hard did they have to monitor you and so forth too or was it more you kind of just keeping a check on what was going on with you and your body and your pregnancy yeah I actually had an appointment like the following week I think was just one of my normal checkups and um I I think they already knew because it was not really a small town but um because he was a missing person and a missing child the night before it just spread all over Nampa that you know his name and I think somebody put the connection together. And so when I went in for my appointment, they were just, you know, obviously very solemn and understanding. And I told them, you know, I was concerned because I was pregnant and whatever. And I don't think they necessarily did anything any different, but they were definitely aware that I was also grieving. And luckily Noah was healthy and the pregnancy and everything went great. It just, um, I was just a grieving mom instead of mm-hmm. a mama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that but it is important because since emotions can have all these, you know, different effects in our body. Since we're talking about that, what are mm-hmm. some of the things? This, this is what we were talking just just prior to recording um, that have come up in your body um, that you know for you knowing, and you knowing doesn't mean somebody else has to prove that this is right or not. It's you <laughs> as Christina the intuitive human that you are, um, what's come up in, in the grief, in your grief, in your body. Yeah. So we actually, we've talked about this a little bit on our podcast, but Stephanie and I, I didn't really make the connection as much until we both started talking to each other about it, but we both have liver issues. And one of the things that my mom and other people have also said, was like, Oh, you processed your grief in your liver. You know, that's probably why, you're struggling with this. And I don't really think I, I didn't think until I had a really serious medical situation that I had anything wrong with my liver. Um, but in March of 2020, I was in the hospital for eight days due to liver failure. And they didn't know this until at the end of the eight days. So basically I just, let's call encephalopathy, but I, my brain was basically shutting down because of all the toxins that were overwhelming my body my liver wasn't processing them and so I basically this one morning just didn't like I was awake but my brain wasn't working and so my mom was and I was breastfeeding Everett he was six months old and so my mom was like doing all the work like feeding the baby like hooking him up and like trying to give me fluids and I was just not really responding and so once it came to be about lunchtime my mom called my husband was like you need to take her to the hospital and so they tested me for drug overdose and acetaminophen overdose like alcohol, like all this stuff. Like, why is this girl, I was 31. Why is she not responding? Why is she like, like this? And so I was in the hospital in Nampa for a day and they sent me to Meridian for a day. And then they life flighted me to Utah. Cause they're like, this is a 31 year old, super healthy person. And she's, you know, like something's really, really wrong. And so they sent me, they knew it was my liver at that point, but they didn't really know why. Um, so they sent me to Utah and I was there for another five days. So anyways, long story short, um, turns out I have celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease. And, and then also, you know, we have the theory that, um, obviously you process your grief in your liver and maybe that has something to do with it, but there's just all these (laughs) health repercussions, like physical things that can happen, um, while you're grieving. And I think your body is just responding to this overwhelming mental state that you're in and your body physically reacts. And, I don't really know what it means that you process your grief in your liver, but I'm guessing it means it's working overtime because mine is now basically dead because <laughs> it, it doesn't work. So I survive on medication and I'm getting by. Um, yeah, it's grief is not something you mess with. <laughs> no. And, and the, the fact too, I wonder if the fact that you were pregnant too during that time, like if it just didn't really fully allow you to process it those nine, you know, those nine months of pregnancy as well, you know, to really 
Does it make sense what I'm saying? Like, if you really yeah. got it out as some, not your body I mean, was so focused away. on doing something else, growing exactly. a human. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Well, who I knows? mean, to be pregnant. I mean, my my two that are alive, Noah and Everett, are only 17 months apart. So, I ba- was barely healed from one, and I decided to have another one because, and I, I explain this because in my head, I I feel like I have to like they were so close. Why did you do that? But when I got pregnant with Noah, we had made the decision to have a second child. And so when he died and what we had was Noah, in my mind, I'm like, I'm counting the time. Like we were ready for two, like it's time to have two. So basically as soon as I felt the kick in the pants, like we did it and we got pregnant again. And that's why Noah and Everett are so close together. I just had this nagging feeling that I was supposed to have two. And so I did. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You never know like what, what causes what in terms of your body's, you know, process and if it was the two pregnancy phase if it was the grief whatever it was or something else but um again we're also trying to fill in the the blanks here of this mysteriousness of you at 31 going through that you know it's like then you you wonder like because so many people have these undiagnosed no or get diagnosed of things that you're like but why like why like there's you know you don't find the rhyme or reason and sometimes all we have to do is maybe just look in with either within or in our emotions and in our history of what it is we haven't processed who knows like um i do feel like there's a you know our bodies are so connected in different ways emotionally and mentally, you know, mm-hmm. mentally, spiritually, and physically, it's all part of a whole that when something's just not right, something else, it's like a wheel in a car, yeah. right? Like you, it's like, you can drive a car with three wheels for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so. so what I think happened, because I've, I've thought a lot about this, because if you know anything about celiac disease, and probably you don't, um, but there are a lot of symptoms of it. And most of them, you're pretty aware when you have it when you have celiac, um, there's lots of GI issues and you're, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be going to the doctor, try to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any of that. Like I didn't, I haven't, I know for a fact, I haven't had celiac my whole life. So when you, when I've done the research, autoimmune things can be triggered by trauma. And so when I think back to like when my symptoms and everything started, I know exactly what did it because, um, we had just decided towards the end of last year. So in 2019, that we were going to leave our dream home. Mm. And so we decided to put my house and my parents decided to put their house up for sale. And so we sold our house first. And so I had this emotional trauma again of like leaving this house that we had built for Mason basically. Cause as soon as we found out he was coming, that's when my parents were like, Oh, we got to do this now. Like it's gotta be ready for you. So, um, when they built our house, it's actually kind of a cool story. We watched it pretty much the whole way because it was right next door to my parents. So we watched it being, you know, built from the ground up and uh, our same church family. And I always talk about when we had all the studs up, they came over and we wrote Bible verses and happy sayings and stuff all over the two by fours, the frame of the house. And so we knew which room was Mason's and, you know, they wrote stuff over Mason's doors. So thinking about that, like leaving that house was hard, like really hard. And so we ended up moving next door with my parents for about a month until, um, you know, we saved up enough money and we were to buy a house. Well, so this is January. We decided to sell it. February, it sells and we move. And I was in the hospital for eight days in March. March. Yeah. That's like yeah. a lot in, in a little period of time. The The emotional component of leaving it, though, um was that less than the emotional component of staying because of what it meant for you to be near that was there was that part of the reason you guys decided to move was because of what it reminded you of yeah I actually I wrote a really long post on Facebook kind of explaining it to the world if you want because I felt like people were like why are you moving this is your forever home you know Um, and so I felt like I needed to explain myself. So obviously it was a very sentimental and, um, we had a lot of reasons for staying, but the reasons weren't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And the reminder of 
what killed my son was. So for us, for me, I can't speak for my husband, but for me, when I would go outside, you know, we still had the same beautiful backyard. We still had our, our mason tree that has yellow leaves in the fall that people bought for us. And we still had the yellow cornfields in the backyard, but I couldn't see past. I, ha I saw past that and all I could see was the creek that was still there. And it was just too much. Like the pain that that brought was more overwhelming than the joy that once was there. So we decided to to move forward. I don't want to say move on, but we, we decided to open a new chapter. And, and I'm so glad we did. Like I miss that house. We still drive by it because it's not very far from us. Um, you know, and I, those aims are still written on the studs in that house, but it's not about the objects. Like that's not Mason. And I still have the same memories, whether I live in that house or not. Um, but I have so much more joy on a day-to-day -day basis, um, knowing my kids are safe here and that's what matters. We talk about that in um, one of our episodes about how um, being a mom to children here as well as in heaven. And I just, I really have to focus on my kids that are here. It doesn't mean I don't miss Mason any less, but leaving there was a good decision and a good, um, a good thing for, I think, all, all of our mental health and their mm -hmm. physical well-being. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I really didn't know that I was going to be asking you so much about all the different intrinsities. And I don't, that's not the word. I don't know how to say that, pronounce that intrinsic, intrinsity. I, I never know, I know how what to, you're trying to say, but know what I'm trying to say. You know what? all the details. Let me just leave yeah. it simple, not try to be all intricate, fancy. intricate, intricate. That. Yeah, intricate. Intricacy. Thank you, intricacies. I know sometimes, like I like I make up words. I tell people, like with Spanish and English being my, the two languages I grew up with, I end up making up language. You know, <laughs> yeah. one, and I think that they yeah. exist, or sometimes I struggle to then, you know, create them because I'm like, Do, is that a word or not? So yeah, thank you it. for going into the into the. The details, intricate details. and, and yes, because, you know, I think that that's important for people to hear because um, the, uh, the, the what you said about the, the house itself not being what is, the you know, what is going to just hold the memories of Mason. You always will have them regardless of where yeah. you are, even if you move to another state, everything. It doesn't have to be about, you know, those things. That's important because sometimes we do hold on to objects so long uh, because we have that feeling that if we let go, it's as if we're letting go of the person uh, mm -hmm. as well, you know? So thank you for, for sharing that because I, that is important. Um, now let's move into what kind of support you found because this is how you met Stephanie. So yeah. what kind of grief support you started in and then what kind of grief support you then created and all the things that you do now to navigate this grief journey that is ongoing. So share yeah. with us. Yeah. So, um, Stephanie actually was one of the first people to reach out to my mom and myself and she had just lost Joshua in March of the same year. So five months later, as when Mason died. And so people were reaching out to her because they're like, hey, you might want to talk to this girl. Her son just died almost the same way your son did. So she um, messaged me and my mom on Facebook. And at the time, I was getting an overwhelming amount of messages from people I didn't know either because they were like, I just, yeah, I saw your story. Because like I said, it was kind of widespread because he was a missing child. And then they saw that he died. So everybody and their dog was reaching out to me. And so um, anyways, I saw her message and was something that I just kind of put on the back burner and I was like, I'll deal with that later. So I think it was at least a couple weeks, if not months down the road, when I decided that I was ready to, to find her message again, because she's talked about maybe going to a support group and that, you know, she was a similar grieving mom in the same situation. And so I reached out to her and we started talking and honestly, our friendship just grew from there because we were both in such this same 
exact emotional state. Um, it may be even a little worse for her, but because she talks about how that, that five month period, she didn't have a me, you know, she didn't have somebody that reached out right at the beginning. So me having her right off the bat was a blessing for sure. And we just, it would be, you know, 10 o'clock at night and I'd be scrolling through Pinterest, reading all these sad quotes and crying to myself. And then I would <laughs> message Stephanie and she'd be crying with me. And I don't know why I'm so emotional today. Well, I do know it's because I'm pregnant, but oh, uh, so anyways. By the time I <laughs> oh, I forgot you hadn't told that yet. <laughs> I haven't, but by the time Probably. I release this episode, you would have already been with the world. Yeah, yeah, so it's all good. I had <clears throat> anyways. Good. <laughs> spilled my own beans. So <laughs> Steffi and I just we yeah, we just kicked right off, kicked it off right off the bat. And um I think it was it was May of 2018 because I was, I was coming up to my one-year anniversary of his death and Stephanie had just passed hers and we decided to go to a local support group which is actually a nationwide group it's called the compassionate friends and there was a local chapter in Boise that we decided to go to together um and we did that they have a meeting every month we did that for a few months and then <laughs> it's kind of sad like they're the chapter just kind of started to fall apart. Like the leadership was somebody was retiring and somebody was leaving. And the main person who's in charge was just like, I, it's too much for you right now. And so they asked Stephanie if she, and I, if we wanted to be in charge. And I was like, Stephanie, I can't. So she took over at first. She was the chapter leader. And then about a year later, she was like, I can't do this anymore. So I'm like, well, I'll help you. So we're technically the co-leaders of this group, but you know, with COVID and everything, we weren't able to meet in person anymore. So this is now 2020. And, you know, I've been charged kind of for a year and we're like, well, what do we do? We can't meet in person. So we talked about doing Zoom meetings or do we um, just like record something and share it? And so we decided to um, just talk because that's what we do. We would just talk. And so we kind of put together like this little outline and we decided to go live on Facebook and it was actually like, we're trying to keep within like a 20 minute period. We ended up talking for 45 minutes. So if you've seen our first podcast episode, it's 45 minutes long. And uh, we were just talking about, I think it was grief in the holidays, I think was our first one or preparing for the holidays. And um, people were like, wow, you guys are awesome. Like you should have a podcast. And we we're like, what? No. <laughs> so we started talking about it and you're like, this isn't too hard. This is just what we do anyways. We just talk and get our feelings out. And so that's what started Sunflowers and Red Feathers. Wow, so, amazing. So from, yeah. yeah, so from having, being in the support group, from it kind of starting to fall apart, from you guys taking, you know, kind of leadership of that chapter mm-hmm. to then COVID, then that ended up, you know, creating then your online platform of now your podcast and, mm-hmm. you know, you, people can find it on YouTube and so forth as well. Now, tell us now the meaning behind the name sunflower and red feathers of the of the podcast yeah so um my special color for mason is yellow that kind of represents you know like the the joy and there's actually a little bit more to it when they wanted to know what colors to decorate for his memorial like what was his favorite color you know i'm like he was 19 months old he didn't have a favorite color and my mom chimes in and she goes he always always wants the yellow sippy cup at daycare i bet his favorite color was yellow so um, that's where we kind of, from there, we decided to wear yellow to his memorial. Like my entire family all wore yellow and it's just kind of become his color. It represents him. And it just so happens that it also was the color that represents joy. Mm-hmm. So it just went together. And um, Stephanie's color for Joshua was red. Um, she loved red roses and he loved Roman Knights. And the Roman Knights helmet has like this, the red leather plumes. Because Stephanie's so, son, Joshua, was a little older. He was five. He was five. Yeah, five he was five when he, when he died. died. Yeah. Yeah. So almost ready to go to kindergarten and loved everything about Rome. So when she, we were talking about the podcast thing, she's like, oh, we can name it Yellow Sippy Cups and Red Feathers. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's so cute. You know? And then I'm like, but one of the things that also has come to represent, you know, obviously it's a flower's yellow, a sunflower's yellow. Like, yeah, there's about- sunflowers behind her, by the way. That's why she's yeah. Oh, yeah. right now because I'm not videoing, recording. So yeah, yeah there's, there's sunflowers behind me. Sunflowers um, behind. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what about like sunflowers and red feathers? And they're both objects, but not like yellow sippy cup is so long, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I love it. So that's how we got okay. sunflowers and red feathers. 
So perfect. So every time you see a sunflower, you think of him too now, oh, yeah. like we associate that. Do you start yeah. seeing then hers being red feathers? Are you, do you get any type of messages? Are Do you feel any connections, little messages that you get? For me? Yes, for, for you. Or if sunflowers oh. or any other way, what are your ways of connecting to Mason? Yeah, um, dandelions are actually also, it was kind of more of a dandelion before it was yes. sunflowers because we did family pictures in May of 2017 mm-hmm. before he died that August. Um, so he'd been like 15 months old or something. And he is the firstborn and both sides of the family first grandchild. And so it's like my parents, my husband and I, my sister and her husband and Mason. And so we're all like perfectly posed, you know, taking these pictures. And then there's my little 15 month old, like running around we're like, smile, no stop, no cheese, you know, like trying to get him to be good for pictures. And the photographer was like, oh, here, give him a dandelion. So we have these super adorable pictures of like me holding Mason on my hip, like blowing the dandelion seeds off into the, into the breeze. And there's one of my mom holding him like that. And they are just, they're so precious mm-hmm. to us. And um, so dandelions and seeds are actually something that's really oh, I see. sentimental to us. Um, so yeah. She's showing, she's showing me a, she's showing me a tattoo. A, a tattoo on her shoulder as I'm saying, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, so yeah, yellow dandelions, sunflowers, anything yellow, really. I've never had so much yellow in my wardrobe in my life. Like I'm not really, I'm a yellow person. I wasn't until, until now. 2017. <laughs> and now yeah. what in your, in your faith, what has helped you in that connection as well with with your grief, how has your faith played a part in your grief journey? Yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, it's not hard, but in your connection to, to, yeah, Yeah. in your connection to source, creator, God. Yeah. I think people's religion, I'm not going to, I'm not, that's a bad way to say it, but like when somebody dies, everybody's instinct is to say, I'm praying for you or, you know, they're in a better place. And, um, I think people, when they think of death, that's when they start to think about religion sometimes Mm. if they haven't really thought of it before. And so coming from a person who is a Christian and believes in heaven and, you know, all of that, when somebody comes up to you and says, oh, now he's an angel or, you know, God needed him more or something like that, like that can be really hurtful because like my mom explained it the best way to me. She's like, God doesn't need anything. God didn't need Mason. You know what I mean? Like he didn't, he didn't take him back because he needed his help per se. And so for me, like, I was really angry, like, well, well, then why did you take him? Like, why would he, why would he do that? So at first, like, that was really hard for me to wrap my mind around. And then it's one of those things where it's like, you have so many questions that are going to go unanswered and you can get so frustrated and so upset about not getting them answered that that can really be hurtful to you and your healing. And so I got to this place where it's just like, you know what? I can't change the fact that he's gone and I'm never going to understand why he's gone. So I realized that I needed to just be able to find peace and joy another way. And for me, that was realizing that I get to see him again. And yeah, I have to live this life without him. And it's going to be hard sometimes. But the ultimate joy comes from the fact that I will get to see him again. And this is not forever. Just that aspect of faith, of that holding on to that part of faith for you, of the knowing that you'll be re- con- reconnected, um, yeah. is what hel- holds on in your grief. And and you you you're, you just explained it so beautifully too that sometimes faith can be tested right in these moments of trials and difficulties and and the why. And the fact yeah. that you were still able to be at peace with that and knowing that there are going to be some questions that are not going to have answers and um, and just hold on to the part that you do know, <laughs> yeah. you know, has really been the fact. And that is just so wise and just so, yeah, wise. That's the, the best way I can think of saying that. I was going to say mature, but if you are mature, <laughs> you're a mom. It's like if I was – if I was yeah. talking to like a 10 year old, they'd be like, that's so mature for your age. Would be oh, telling somebody that is a, another fellow mom here. So mature. You can but say yeah, mature well, in your grief journey. Cause that yeah. you know, infers that it's, I've come from somewhere and yeah, that's learned true. along the yeah. way. Yeah, that's true. 
Okay, so matured in your grief journey. That thank you. That that's in in at least in that comprehension and that that's helped you have that uh, belief. Yeah, and I really do believe that. that. There's definitely mindsets that have changed a lot over time, and even just doing our podcast interviews, talking with other people who have also had those epiphanies, if you will, yes. like realizations that there's something that they can't change. And one of the things that I've really noticed a theme with all of especially bereaved parents is that they the ones that are doing I'll say well mentally and emotionally now have all been people that have taken their grief and done something beautiful with it and when she said well you did the you did the little quotes air quotes with the well because it's true it's like the air quote well the you're so right because it's kind of like you create a purpose they have heard that a lot of times they're turning pain into purpose and those kind of things and it's the aspect of getting this or lemons to lemonade have it you know that when you take those opportunities of doing something then that adds value to somebody else even amidst your own pain it does shift your focus and your perspective in that journey and um what are some of these things that you've learned maybe from your own um, interviews that you've had that have also added to your own uh, grief journey of arsenal of maybe tools and, and such that maybe you've heard another uh, person say and you're like, oh, journaling, for example, I'm just exactly, oh, that, that would work for me or, you know, or meditation. Oh, I'm going to add this. Is there something that you've yeah. added based on any conversations that you've had with your guests or are they things that in general you already did? You know, a lot of them honestly have been things that we've already done. Um, I think the things that naturally you learn about yourself when you're grieving, people are kind of all already drawn to that. I don't know, like you learn things about grief and you learn how to get through them. But I think some, I guess some people maybe need to be told like grief journaling, for example, was a good one because we just did an interview Um, with the bereavement counselor that's in the UK and she made some really good points about like what kind of things to journal about and there are things that I hadn't really thought of um, things to do that can help you process like a date on a day-to-day like I see a sunflower and it makes me think of Mason so find a sunflower in a magazine and put that you know on there and write about you know why did that make you think of Mason and how do you if it makes you sad, like what, what about it makes you sad? You know, like you take an emotion or a feeling and you really dig down into it and figure out why if you need to. But I guess for me, I didn't really feel like that was helpful. I don't know. Um, most of the things that we've talked to people about, like starting foundations in honor of their children and, um, you know, just having the special things that represent them, like colors and objects, doing things like that are all things that I guess we've kind of already, but for me, like I've, I feel like we've already accomplished. We have done so much in memory of Mason and in honor of Mason. And I think that's one of the reasons why Stephanie and I have so many followers is because I think we have a lot of good ideas that people like to hear. So I'm not going to say we have it all figured out because, oh my gosh, I totally don't. And I think that's probably one of my struggles is like, I think I mentioned this one time before is you have to be ready mentally and emotionally to hear somebody else's story to be able to actually get something from it and I think for me personally I've been a little shut down and like closed off emotionally for a while so maybe that's my problem maybe I'm not listening but (laughs) again you have to be ready and I'm not forcing myself and I know I will be at some point so that was a long way to answer that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, you know what you just said that you're probably not even that you're not maybe even listening, even though you interview people, you're gathering information, but truly, truly, are you listening in your own grief journey about it? Like, it's so yeah. interesting that we sometimes can still even go through the motions on certain things in our life as that protective mechanism. And like you said, it's really only till we're ready that we mm-hmm. maybe really, truly listen, even just like yeah. somebody might not want to use the tool of listening to any of our podcasts as their way of, you know, as a grief tool, you know, because mm-hmm. they're not ready. And when they do exactly. find it, when they do find it, it will be the right time and, and yeah. place for them and their journey. Uh, and maybe this is not the tool. This is maybe this is not the tool and that's okay too. 
Oh, I think it's just not necessarily my tool. You kind of hit it on the head when you said earlier that now that you do podcasts, you don't necessarily listen to podcasts as much. And podcasts have never really been my thing. Uh, mm-hmm. We started Sunflowers and Red Feathers to help other people. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a, like a tool that I think you, I would use to help myself. But, it's so interesting, right? But yet yeah. we're providing it for us. Yeah, like I listen yeah. to podcasts, but it's not how I processed my, I didn't agree. I didn't look for grief podcasts when I was going through grief journey. Yeah. Actually, I didn't even know they existed because that's exactly. why I even yeah. created one. Um, <laughs> so my, like, my process, my tool is definitely Stephanie. <laughs> and, I, and I love when you said that you would go onto Pinterest to find like quotes that would make you oh, yeah. feel right. You actually mm-hmm. wanted to connect to those emotions and cry, like doing that purposeful, yeah. intentional like sitting down with your grief and then calling your friend that understood exactly where you were at. That was, you know, that was perfect. It wasn't on purpose either. It's just, you know, you, you wanted something to explain the way that you were feeling. And so I would just go through and quotes were it for me. Like, like, Oh yeah, I feel that. Oh, I really, really hurts. That really hits the spot. And sometimes I would share them. Sometimes I would just save them. Sometimes I put them in newsletters that I sent out for the compassionate friends, you know, down the road. Um, but yeah, most of the time I just, was, it was just for my own sake, just to cry it out and put words to my emotions and yeah. That is just beautiful. Thank you. It's so simple too. like, you know, it was a simple, simple tool, but you also had your sounding board, you know, another fellow yeah. mom that kind of got, you know, got where you were at, um, was in the same kind of place as you were, um, in your grief journey. I'm going to ask you, um, a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. How was the dynamic of the grief journey um, with you and Wade? Of course, everybody knows everybody grieves differently. So how uh, did you guys navigate that journey of each of you, your different ways of grieving in your mm-hmm. marriage and in your uh, relationship? And now also, if you can also add to that, how you now share Mason with Noah and Everett as well, how you share his memory and his life with mm-hmm. them since they never got to meet their brother. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one, especially the first one. Um, okay. So for the, the main difference in my story and Stephanie's story is I didn't know what happened right away with Mason. Um, Cause he was with my husband and brother-in-law and father. And my husband was obviously in the water with him trying to find him. So, and for Stephanie, she was the one who was in the water trying to save Joshua. So they have that in common. <laughs> which has been another blessing for me being able to bounce stuff off of Stephanie. Um, but one of the things that I, I will say is that I have never once blamed my husband. I've never said, I can't believe you did that. How did you let that happen? I have never said those words to him at all. And that is a very mindful thing because I never wanted to put that blame on him and I never wanted him to carry that burden because he already is carrying such a huge burden. And I think that was wise, but I also think that I took it to an extreme that was a little hurtful for our relationship because I didn't, I don't know, I didn't have any way to talk to him about it. I didn't know how to talk to him about it. And so that put up this huge wall and this barrier of, we just don't talk about it. We just don't talk about Mason. And like the first few months, if not year, it was just like this elephant in the room. Like once we started finding happiness again and you know we were able to like have relationships again and get out of the house like that was our getaway and we would do that live and then we'd come back home and not talk Mm. and that was our survival mode like it was really just a survival mode and so we got to this part and I've never really shared this with anybody but we finally got to this part in our life where I was just like you know what I made the decision to live and I made the decision to live with you and if you can't do that then we need to figure this out, you know? And, um, we just had this like heart to heart. I never made, I never have made him explain anything. I still never blamed him for anything. And he just was like, okay. And it just, I'm not gonna say it fixed because we still have never really had a conversation about what happened, but he now knows that, you know, I don't blame him and blaming him is not going to change anything. And I still love him unconditionally because, I choose to, and he's my husband. Um, and I think just having that understanding has kind of filled in the gaps, I guess, and kind of fixed that 
cracked foundation that maybe he was questioning. So, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms I'm sure we could try to delve into, but I think just that conversation of us just like having that heart to heart and being like, I want to live, do you want to live with me? Um, kind of was like a deciding factor. So, and as far as like the children, our children go, um, so I didn't have any other kids that were alive when Mason died. So having these two being born after, I didn't really know how to like, how do you introduce them to, to death and grief and mm-hmm. a brother that they've never seen? And Stephanie, when Joshua died, had his two little brothers alive. And so I've had, again, a blessing. Stephanie is just a huge blessing in my life of seeing how she was able to raise them and still talk about Joshua. And I remember the first time that we really hung out together uh, after Noah was born and walking around and stuff. Uh, we went to the park and she had at that point her two that were alive and she had a son soon after, or actually he was born right before Noah. So they're both three now. And so they were all playing together. And one of the first things that her, her oldest son after Joshua said was, oh, you're Mason's mommy. And like, oh, this is Mason's brother. And I was totally blown away, like how forward he was about talking about Mason. I'm like, he, how does he know who Mason is? And Stephanie's just like, like it was just normal day-to-day conversation talking about Mason and Joshua. And I was so blown away by that. And I finally realized, I was like, I need to start telling Noah about Mason. And then Everett was born and now Noah's three. And he kind of is starting to understand that there's a different little boy in those pictures. And that's not him. Mm-hmm. where it's not little brother. And um, so I'm not gonna say I haven't mastered yet because I really have no idea what I'm doing, but being able to watch Stephanie raise her kids and talk about Joshua and Mason has been very helpful. And now Noah can look at a picture and be like, oh, that's big brother Mason. But I know at some point he's gonna get confused because that kid is only 19 months old and he's obviously not older than him. So there's still a lot of explaining to do. And if I master it, I'll tell you, but and you, That's you, it. And you might not, do we ever really truly master parenting? No. And so Ugh. even, right. Yeah. So even with this, like even more, it's an added component of this journey. Like we say, we, they don't, we know we, we don't come with a man, kids don't come with a manual and these kind yeah. of experiences we're kind of go, learning as we're going. And yes, like your, your situation is even more unique than in terms of Stephanie already, the kids have some recollection of somebody having been in the family, but yeah. Noah and Everett were not even born. So it's like, yeah, yeah. in the age right now, you know, three and 20 months, like, yeah, you don't know. So um, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll kind of navigate that as you go. And, uh, and I'm sure it will be perfect because it's, <laughs> yeah perfect and perfectly imperfect because it's perfectly imperfect because it's whatever you choose as a family of how it is you want to introduce you know mason into their Mm -hmm. lives or not if somebody chooses not to that's also their choice and that's still the perfectly imperfect for that family's dynamic if that ever becomes a choice in somebody else's life too that is what it is and you respect you know we all have to respect what people choose to do with their with their grief too, you know? Yes, exactly. So, so unique. Um, and so, okay, let's, before we wrap up now, tell us then website name, because that would be probably the best way to find everything to do with sunflower and red feathers and connect with you ladies. So can you please say it? Of course I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. So I honestly don't even think I could quote our website. It's called a, it's like a flow page, but basically if you go to our Instagram, there's a, okay, U- a URL link. That's better. Yeah, okay. And it's like flowcode.com slash sunflowers and red feathers. So don't try to memorize oh, so it. Or that anything. is harder. You're right. Uh, yeah. So just go, just, yeah, just click on the links below that I'll get. <laughs> or yeah, Instagram. go to Instagram and click on the URL there. And basically what it is, is just, it's one website that has everything. So all of our podcast sites, YouTube, our blog and everything, Facebook is all uh, individual buttons on that URL. So just go to one URL, choose what platform you like, and you'll find us. And it's at, at sunflower and red feathers. And the, is it and, the word A and D for uh, Instagram? Or, Sunflowers or? and red feathers all written yeah. out all over case. Yep. Perfect. So that way can, people yep. can find you at guys. And of course I'll put the links, any other words you'd like to say to the listeners, any 
things that I did not ask that you'd like, oh, when I hang up, I don't want to not have said this. No, man. I don't know. We've said a lot. Uh, basically, just know that wherever you are in your journey, you are in the right place. And just, it's all about finding community, whether that be locally or online, just find other brave parents, other people that are in your situation, because that's how you can connect and know that you're not alone. It's all about connection. Thank you so much, Christina. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, If you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.